Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Say Who, Say Pod, episode six, hosted by myself, Christian Capel, and Danny O'Neill. Um, when we last uh, when we last spoke, obviously, uh, we knew the University of Washington was in flux with regard to its head coaching situation. Jimmy Lake had been suspended. I think everybody was kind of looking toward this past Sunday. No, 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 no. no hold on. We're going to need to advertise this differently. If you listen to Say Who Pod, Say Who, Say Pod a week ago, you were ahead. And the reason you were ahead is because Christian Capel laid out very, very clearly that while the one-game suspension was in place that Jimmy Lake was very unlikely to coach again at the University of Washington. Not saying that it was impossible or that anything was done, but but laying out to you the scenario that it's unlikely he would coach again. And here we are a week later, and that, that situation has come to pass almost exactly as Christian Capel laid out. See, I'm doing a little better marketing. I should have. I, Danny should have done the intro. Clearly, <laughs> you're just you're a very normal, nice person who doesn't like bragging about himself. So I'm going to toot your horn. Well, I don't like bragging about myself. We can we can, you know, normal and nice. Those are subjective, subjective matters. But um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's over for Jimmy Lake at Washington, I think, far earlier than anybody could have anticipated when they hired him in, in to replace Chris Peterson in December of, of 2019 and. I think everybody, you know, as we kind of talked about last week, felt really good about that, and it seemed like a really logical choice. And um, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, but I, I don't think anybody could have anticipated it playing out the way it did. Um, Danny, obviously, you've been you've been following Washington football for a while. You've you've followed the team through several head coaches and all kinds of ups and downs. Um, one comment yesterday from Jen Cohen that I, I want to focus on first was that. She said it goes against her belief as an administrator to make a coaching change this early. I think that her and the administration are very self-conscious about um, the University of Washington being seen as a school where you could get fired in your second year if your record's mm-hmm. not good enough. Obviously, there were more factors at, at play here, and, and Jen Cohen was pretty explicit about that on her media availability yesterday. But I just I wonder, with you being an alum and, and having kind of followed this program through a lot of different changes over the years, just how does it hit you that they're making a change in the second year of a head coach's tenure? They needed to. And that's coming from someone who three weeks ago would have said that I want to see an overhaul of the offensive coaching staff. Up until the Oregon game, I was not in support of firing Jimmy Lake. I, I didn't I didn't feel that. It, I didn't think it would happen, and some of that had to do with the financial ramifications. I wasn't... I wasn't sure that it should happen. After the Oregon game, that changed. And my main concern was that because of a financial obligation, they weren't going to make a change. They, they needed to. And the reason, how do you see a path forward for Jimmy Lake? And I, and I think that that should be asked with any coach. How do you see, what does success look like for this coach? And then ask yourself how reasonable an expectation th- that is. For Jimmy Lake, what is... What is the scenario for him to survive this? Which is, you have an abominable second year. He has to come back and win his third year, right? Like, it's, you've, you've got to contend for a division title. You can't go seven and five. You can't go six and six. You're going to get fired at that point. And what, what is the likelihood that you find that path to success? And I think for Jimmy Lake, the answer was pretty clearly, he's going to come out of this season trying to re-recruit his best players on offense 
trying to hire and install a new offense and repair a recruiting class right now that, and of all the different things that happened, that to me is the most surprising is that it looked like their recruiting was tanking. I did the, the likelihood of him succeeding if he didn't lose his job now is so small. So I, I agree with her point. I also agree with the idea that the decision needed to be made now. That like all things well and good, we don't want to be a reactionary school that panics when things don't 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 break the way we expect them to. There there were too many indications. It was just, it was just too much of an uphill climb. If even if you granted the okay, how does how does he survive this? You're like I just. That's so unlikely that you pull the cord now. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where it, I think you work in college athletics long enough or you work around college athletics long enough, you you just kind of know when things aren't working. I think you just know when somebody's, somebody's not the guy. Um, and that's not to say Jimmy Lake couldn't be the guy at another program down the road. I think there's a lot of lessons to, to learn here. And it was his first go around. And, um, but, I, you know, for how he antagonized he, and maybe he will learn from this he antagonized you laid it out really well in your story of like of the constituents like you have to view a college football coach as having constituents right you've yep. got the players you've got the recruits you've got your administration you've got your boosters and then to a much lesser degree the fans the boosters are way more important than the fans how, how many how many of those did he succeed how many of those did he have a, a positive relationship with? Like it sounds like some of the players, but not all of the players. The recruiting was a major concern of like, okay, what's happened here? And I'm not the person that gets real like caught up in all of the different how many stars guys they've gotten. And but look, you saw a downward trend in, in all of that in 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 the caliber of kids, and specifically the the high caliber kids in state leaving. The administration really went downhill the week of the Oregon game. Like you had three major incidents in my in 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 my mind, and and then the boosters. Look, I I've been at the past two games. There is a palpable hostility toward the coaching staff in general in the program. It doesn't extend to the players. Like I I I think I think most normal college football fans understand that you don't ever blame the players. They're, they're amateur athletes out there doing their best, but there is a palpable hostility toward the program right now. I think it became that way. I mean, if you take if you take the that if that hostility, as you put it, toward the coaches and say walking off the field at Oregon, it was at one hundred percent. Let's say that represented one hundred percent. I think they got ninety percent of the way there after the Montana game. I, I would I would agree with you. If not further, I would, I would I, yeah I would I would agree with you. It was the Oregon one was the final was kind of this final straw where it was kind of like okay this guy is all hat no cattle right like the, you went and talked your talk over the course of the week you hung your your, your bare backside out exposed I'm gonna be and then and then you then you do that. And that being the final, the the punt decision <laughs> it was just like, oh, oh, but you're right about like everybody with Montana is like, huh? Well, that that should not have happened like that. There was no warning that was in the offing. Oh, my God. And the Oregon game was kind of the confirmation of like, yeah, this this guy's just not going to do it. 
I, I think a lot of people would say they're unhappy with the administration because they didn't come along with those fans at the at the same pace, which obviously they're never going to, right? I mean, it, you wouldn't want that. You need you need the people making decisions to be a lot more even keel and and you know think things through and and you know not make emotional decisions. Um, but here's the thing, Christian, because I you, when you say those fans, like we can include me because I'm a knucklehead about these things. Well, yeah, and I'm not. I'm not saying yeah. any of them are wrong. Clearly, they well, they were right. No, but but because they, they're they're not wrong. I I think there's from a fan's perspective right now, and and this is I'm going to speak for me personally because I look at it and I'm like, I what has this athletic department administration done that makes me believe the next choice is going to be right? And the two most prominent what are defined as the revenue sports at Washington, the Jimmy Lake and, and Mike Hopkins, like they, this looks pretty rough right now. And, and I'm not saying that I could have foreseen cause I did not foresee the route that either of these programs have taken, but throw in women's basketball. I know that they're, they're two and zero cause they beat Northern Arizona, but that's not been great either. I, I think there's a, I think the distrust goes beyond they weren't skeptical or critical enough of what happened under Jimmy Lake to are, do we really trust them to get this right? Are they the ones that are going to get this thing back on track? Yeah, and the jury's out. I mean, I, like I think there's a world in which this is if if this next hire doesn't work out and the program's not back where people want it to be within two seasons, three seasons. Um, I don't know that that Jen Cohen will necessarily make another hire as athletic director, but I do I mean just to manage expectations on that front for people who are frustrated and critical. That's you know she reports directly to the president of the university, mm-hmm. Anamari Kause, um, who reports to the board of regents. If you attend a board of regents meeting where Jen Cohen and others in the athletic administration are presenting, whether it's their budget or, um, you know, seeking uh, approval for the the basketball facility and a number of, of things that have brought them before the board. The regents clearly think that they're, they're very pleased with the job that she's doing. Um, and, and upper, you know, upper campus, the president's office, they're not necessarily evaluating the athletic director solely on, okay, is the football team winning and did she hire the coach and is he doing well? It's a lot more holistic and the the daily thought about football and the attention paid to the energy and the vibe around that from the way fans are feeling and things being said on Twitter and, you know, do people approve of this coaching hire or not? Mm-hmm. It's just not at the front of mind. Um you know, there sounds like I need to get in there to a board of regents meeting, Christian. Hey, they have it public. Like I need to get. They I have public to get comment in there. And, <laughs> I need to get in there and explain to them, like, look, you eggheads. <laughs> I don't know how much you understand about how we feel, but that light show between the third and fourth quarter <laughs> epitomized <laughs> the things that a lot of us fans are feeling, and they've completely lost the fo- the pulse. And and you guys might be worried, more worried about your romance languages and how the re- the the physics grants are going. But I'm here to tell you, the people down there, I'm all like, are mad. We're mad as hell, and we're not going to take it anymore. And then you hold up like cell phone video of the the light show. <laughs> oh God! Da- Danny turns his his uh, flashlight on his phone and 
starts waving it around. <laughs> these are all these are all good. This is, this would be performance art. Could you dim but the lights, we, please? Can we let, let's take a pause from the serious stuff because we'll get back to it because I do I do have some questions that I want to ask you and I've I've often been in your seat of explaining the internal dynamics of someone's job and job job security to a fan who's like puzzled and doesn't really get it, which is kind of the spot. I'm I'm the puzzled fan now, but let's that light show. What was the song that was playing? It sounded like Enya to me. I am trying to remember. Is it Coldplay? Some people said it was Coldplay. Then another person on Twitter told me. So between the third and fourth quarter, was this the second week they've really tried to do this? They've done. No, they've been doing the light show for a couple seasons now. Okay. And they do a different song each time? I believe so. And last week it was Mr. Brightside by the Killers. We ripped off Michigan State, right? Michigan, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's is it Michigan that we ripped off? Which I makes it, Michigan it which makes it even more kind of damning because they they played at Michigan this year and saw that and got beat up close, oh. you know. And so, like, I, so, I I'd written that of a couple weeks back that like to see to see it done right with one hundred and seven thousand people all wearing the same color, all like singing in unison, and it's this it's this stadium tradition, and then to see it like with 20,000 people in a downpour in between the third and fourth quarter of a game they're losing by two scores. Like, very striking, the the differences between those two atmospheres. So I have a couple of observations here. The first being that I, on principle, do not like the idea of ripping stuff off from other people. And this goes beyond just picking the same, the same song. I thought it was Michigan State. It's Michigan that Michigan played. This is a... a, a this is a clear attempt to emulate what Wisconsin has with jump around with what other schools have done. And it, when, when, when athletic departments do that, when marketing does this in general, where they try to make something a thing, I hate being sold on that. Do not try to sell me on fun. Like don't, don't, don't try to do it because if things aren't going well, it's going to make me really, really mad. I'm going to be, my my gut reaction is like, hey, how about you focus on winning a football game instead of this half-assed performance that you're doing that you're trying to force between the third and fourth quarter. The other thing is, there was a tradition, right? It was the Husky Legend. The Husky Legend was introduced between the third and the fourth quarter, and now they've changed that to the first half. And so, on principle, I don't like the idea that we're ripping something off. the 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 second part of it is, you've got to know the room. Like, you've got to understand the direction of things. And whatever ideas they had about making this happen, the minute Washington lost to Montana, the minute that happened is like, okay, we're going to cool it on that. Like, we are, gonna, we are going to, to dial back all of those different things that we had. By the way, we're not going to do the skeet, seat scanning code thing anymore, which I've been told like can only accommodate like 1,000 at a time. I've, 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 I've resist. I've not done the skeet, seat scanning because I'm just, just mad. I'm, I'm a mad fan. But all of that stuff needed to be dialed back with the, the eye of like, yeah, our main product stinks right now. Let's ix, ixnay on the mandatory fun A. And, and, and they have not done that. They've continued with the mandatory fun. You know what would be organic? <laughs> what? You and your buddies got to pick a song and just get it, <laughs> just get it going. I don't, where, where are your seats at? Well, 
Uh, we, well, we, we're, we're sitting undercover again. Our oh, right. Yeah, the, you, had, you had to sneak to, to higher ground. <laughs> our seats are the 100 level. And they're under somebody's name, somebody else's name, so the athletic department can't get mad and pull our seats. Um, the, yeah, yeah, show us. Well, we, we, I decided I'd be okay if Nuck if you buck. Like the, no, that would get it going. Been, yeah. Or, or like Posse's on Broadway. A Sir Mix a Lot classic. Yeah. That... Purple pur- purple haze. Purple haze is not done correctly the way we use it, but that could that could also be um or Annie Up by MOP, which is the most violent rap song ever created. Like it, it, there are times where I've listened to it and I've realized like, oh, I'm scowling at everyone as I walk through the airport. I stay I stand by my recommendation of Wipe Me Down by Boosie. I still I think that could really catch on. <laughs> See that would be but but there's no way the athletic department's going to do that, right? No. Like there's no way that they're going to do it. like it's it's got to be some sort of it's got to be slightly wholesome. It's got to be like resonate am- across generations. Like oh, there's all sort of and so you end up with this ripoff stuff and whatever the hell that was whatever the hell that was between the third and fourth quarter, which again I was told I was it was cold play and I I wouldn't know cuz I was too busy booing. Um, it was, it was along, along, along to the rhythm, at least. No, no, just one big standing up, thumbs down, boo. Um, yeah. I was also that was after the people around me had kind of become aware of uh, the hair trigger. The first, the first explosion I'd had of anger was when Bob Gregory ra- waited ten seconds to call timeout in the second quarter. That was it's odd. Like, yeah, Bob, Bob, you're in charge. Bob, you know when you're looking around for somebody to call timeout? It's you, Bob. Bob, call the timeout, Bob. Not great, Bob. <laughs> Not great, Bob. Got to yeah, got to throw that reference in whenever possible. <laughs> Not great, Bob. Yeah. Yeah. Other than that, did you enjoy the game? I well, I did for this for this matter. I it was. I want you to imagine. He's one of my dearest friends. Uh, I lived with him. He lived in the dorm room, like two two do- two two doors down in McMahon Hall when we were freshmen at UW. And then we were roommates. We rented a part of part of a group that rented an apartment, and then in a, in a house that we rented up on Fifteenth. We went there. He's been out of the country for ten years. He'd worked in Indonesia, Papua, and then Jakarta, and then most recently in Luxembourg. So this was the first Husky game he'd been to. We think in like fifteen years. It was awesome to see him, and I did have a good time at the game. It, the The tailgate beforehand, it didn't rain. It didn't rain until we got in. As I said, I was undercover, so I didn't I didn't have to worry about the soaking. They started off well, like scored touchdowns on their first two possessions. They played really and hard. I thought. I, I I totally agree, and and then they kind of. It was kind of what we both talked about last week, where neither of us thought they were going to win, but thought they would look better, and they did. So I, I was encouraged. It was the way it ended. I mean, I do not for the life of me understand why they only had six guys in the box on that final Arizona State drive. Like, I don't, I do, I don't, I don't get that. Like, it was pretty, it was pretty clear w- where where Arizona State was running the ball and very clear that they weren't going to throw the ball and you stayed with the safety's back. I I I I for the for the life of me, I did not get that. It it, it seemed pretty evident what Arizona State was doing well and Washington did nothing to take that away. Um but overall the result like while it was disappointing, 
I it certainly I wasn't angry like I was after the Oregon game. Like after the Oregon game, I was firmly self hating. This was kind of a confirmation of like, yeah, you know what? The coaching has failed these kids this year. Like, like there's sometimes you feel like the team's not good enough, and and this is a year where I feel like the coach the coaching has failed these kids. This this team is better than that, and and they're they're not. It's not as simple as getting rid of one guy. On the offense as the offensive coordinator, or getting the boost that comes when you when you have a different head coach, the 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 coaching staff, the approach, the the system that they've put in place has has been a disservice to this team. Yeah, and I I had a couple couple people during the week kind of describe the mood around the team as as feeling kind of lighter, mm-hmm. you know, um, and very positive. Even Bob Gregory was asked afterward. You know, how hard has this week been? How emotional has it been? And he said, this has been a great week, you know, because they they had occasion to kind of refocus all of their attention and energy on, you know, making sure that, that the players were, were doing well and, and focusing on them and, you know, getting them ready to play a game. And, um, you know, I, I like Trent McDuffie said, they, you know, these guys come here to, to play football. It's what they do. Um, so I, I think... It, it was kind of like we talked about last week, not necessarily rallying around adversity so much as it's just, hey, you know, you the, between the lines is the escape. You know, football is the escape. Let's just go play football. And, you know, I think it, that really showed up on those first two offensive possessions where I thought they had a better plan. And they talked about, you know, Jackson Kirkland said, yeah, you know, we really wanted to run outside the tackles and, and you know, create some cutback lanes and stuff rather than being so predictable, which spoke volumes i thought yes um they you know i got the ball to roma denze i thought it was encouraging that they made a concerted effort during the week to prepare sam heward to play i Mm -hmm. still think there's questions about exactly how they deployed him and what the purpose was of running him out there every few series if he's only going to attempt five passes and clearly they felt you know in the second half that that they needed to go back to Dylan Morris. I said, you know, what did you think? Because I've had a couple people say, why did they go away from Dylan Morris after they scored touchdowns on their first two possessions? And they thought that it, it killed the momentum. What do you think of that? Yeah, I, I see that. I also think that you're dealing with the coaching staff right now is dealing with the, how the players are feeling about things they're dealing with what the players think is going to be in the future there. And it was clear that this week they prepared with the intention of playing Sam Heward. And if you then don't play Sam Heward, I think that that becomes something that sticks in the back of the players' minds or becomes... You can create a net negative, right? Like even though it's like, hey, he was he was hot, and we're doing it. Unless you're going to give Sam Heward multiple series in the second half, unless you're going to give him, if you prepare him for the opportunity and tell him the opportunity is coming, given the current state of things, I think the opportunity needs to come. And it's not just because of Sam Heward, and it's not even mostly because of Sam Heward. I, I care what Jalen McMillan and Roma Dunze think right now. Yeah, I care what they think a, a ton, and. I'm going to bet that both of them would like to see Sam Heward play a little more. I'm betting both of them would like to see Sam Heward get some opportunities to throw it a little bit more. So I I understand, and I think that strategically people might be right, 
that that did have that came at a short term cost. I guess I'm more focused on the long term game. And 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 my my hope is that they can retain some of their most. I think there's talent on this offense. I think this offense has been way is way more talented than it showed. And part of part of that brighter future is getting getting better play at quarterback, getting someone who is more aggressive at pushing the ball down the field is more capable of pushing the ball down the field. So I, I was okay. I was okay with that. Even if it came at a short term loss. Yeah, I completely agree. I think if you're, if you are going to split reps during the week and tell a kid, we're going to play you some, this is the plan every third series or whatever, however it ended up shaking out. You can't pull, you can't pull the rug come, come game time. You just can't. Yeah. You, you also, and there's a little, Part of my big, part of my question or criticism, I don't know the inside of what's going on with Sam Heward and his plan. And when I say that, I don't know if he and his family would prefer a red shirt. Like I, I, I truly, I don't know that. So I want to leave the the opening there of if that's what the kid wants, that's that's really what is most important. But the, but the other side of this is that he's a really elite quarterback prospect. They have not had good quarterback play. True freshmen play all over the place when they're that pedigree, that when they have that reputation as a freshman quarterback. And it feels like this year at Washington, there's been a little bit of this, whether you want to call it hubris or uh, on the part of the coaches of like, well, as true freshman, he's not quite ready yet. And I was like, well, oh, are you sure? Are, are you sure? Because I don't know if I I don't know if there's anybody exactly keeping him. At, 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 you're afraid to make a change because it it might disrupt the offensive flow yet. Are you sure he's not ready? So I I think what you just said about if you tell a kid that he, that he's going to play, especially at, at quarterback, you got you got to follow through on that. They kind of have treated him like a sixth round draft pick. They took a flyer on when they have. Uh, a returning starter under contract you yeah. know yeah and that's not the way you treat that that's i mean i'm i've been thinking a lot lately about just how lucky they are to have a five-star quarterback on this roster considering if his last name was not heward and he hadn't grown up where he did he would not have considered the university of washington if it were just school x an offensive system X and offensive coordinator X on paper, it made no sense for him to be in this program with the offense, to, with the offense as it was. Yeah. And with, with the coordinator they hired, you know, does John Donovan running that scheme at Illinois have any chance right. at recruiting Sam Heward, you yeah, know, no, and, and Washington's got more juice to it than Illinois. I mean, that's not the comparison I'm making, but you know they they were fortunate to keep this guy around based on his allegiance to the the program and the tradition and his family history um and and so you know that that all made it imperative that they make a change at coordinator which was not a surprise everybody knew that was going to happen but they i i think they they need to not screw up the fact that this five-star quarterback fell in their lap and make it not not just a head coaching hire um starts with the head coach but a, a coordinator hire and a philosophical adjustment to to give sam heward reason to believe that he his best interest is, is still to remain at the university of washington i think that's only that, that's crucial going forward in the coaching search not only that but like 
convince those receivers that he's going to be the one throwing him the ball. Yeah. We talked about we talked about Jimmy Lake and the, the the decision to pull the plug. What's the path towards success? What's the path towards success for this offense? Is the path towards success for this offense with Dylan Morris as your starting quarterback? Is it? Because, and this I say as respectfully, I thought Dylan played a really good freshman year. I, I thought he looked I thought he looked promising. I thought he looked good. I thought you could make, now he he'd redshirted, whereas Jake Browning was playing as a true freshman. But I I I, I was as encouraged by his freshman season as I had been about Jake Browning's. Yeah, but and this year this I, year there's been a clear regression. This year's been a clear regression, and you've got a five star quarterback. And you ask me, is there path going forward with Dylan Morris? My answer is no. No, it's not. And if that's the case, Let's get other opportunities. The, the insane play Sam Heward won series when Dylan Morris got kind of banged up and then all of a sudden say, well, that was our plan anyway, and he throws one pass and that was playing. That made no sense. That, that was dumb. And this was better. This was a, 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 a better step. It's still, it's still not great, though. If you're going to play him, play him. I feel bad for Dylan Morris. I, I think he, you know, I agree too. If you if you if you think that Sam Heward did not get the the coaching and the development from a you know a quarterback coach perspective that he should have gotten, you you have to feel the same about Dylan Morris. They came in under the same circumstances. Yeah, other than you know Dylan Morris was here last year. I just I you can't watch Dylan Morris's four game sample last year. And I know there were still some some red flags. He had passes batted down. He missed on some deep throws. He didn't set the world on fire. But you can't watch Dylan Morris's four-game sample last year and compare it to this year and think that it's all on him. He didn't just get worse from season to season. You go back to the fact what you said earlier that in college athletics you don't blame the players. That to me, there's there's no greater indictment of their offensive coaching staff than how much worse Dylan Morris has looked this year than he did last year. I I still I think that he is so much more capable than what we've seen this season. You know, should he be a starting quarterback for a Pac-12 championship type of team when you have a five-star kid on the roster who everybody believes has a higher ceiling? You know, maybe, maybe not. But with the roster they had, the talent around them, how relatively talented they are on, on defense, even with the flaws they've got against the run, they should have been able to put an offensive plan together to win at least eight or nine games with, with that yes. roster this year. And they've been, you know, I think if Jimmy Lake were to defend himself, he'd say, well, we've been in enough games to be able to win eight or nine games. You know, it's like what we talked about last week. If they averaged 30 a game, what would their record be? And I think the pieces were there, including Dylan Morris, inclusive of Dylan Morris, to, to have that kind of season and have that kind of offense. And I just I, I would love to hear an honest assessment from John Donovan and, and from from maybe Jimmy Lake and maybe some other offensive coaches um, just about where that breakdown was and you know who's I don't want to hear anything whose voice from was them. whose voice Christian, was loudest about Christian I don't <laughs> want to hear anything from them I don't want to hear them speak again What if I told you they're anti cold play though <laughs> Because I don't Maybe. know, I don't know that, but you know, we need to leave open the possibility. <laughs> That'll be the we'll find common ground if we can come together in our hatred of the Coldplay light show. We can bridge all gaps. I, I don't disagree with anything you just said, and and I I I do want to make it. I I was really encouraged by what happened with Dylan Morris last season. This season, it's not all on him. That the interception that he had on against Oregon. 
like if you go back and look at that, the the pick it was a terrible pick. He threw he threw to the most covered guy yeah. on the field. But there's two guys out on routes in that. Like there, there's there's two guys out, and Oregon had five in coverage. Like there's that the problem with that play. The problem with that play is the design. The problem with that play is is max protect and only two guys out in routes and they've got five in coverage. Like that's that's there were so many of those this season. Yeah, I like and that's play action rollout where you look and it's like who who's he going to throw this to? Yeah, he has to throw it away. It's it's almost like it's designed to be thrown away. And eventually, eventually, a quarterback is going to get impatient. We saw it last night with Russell Wilson against the Packers. Eventually, a quarterback, when they don't have openings, is going to feel, I've got to make something happen. Hey, okay, it, it, does, it doesn't matter that this guy's covered because I've got to make something happen. And if I don't, we're just going to, the, the clock is going to, going to slowly eat away. So it, it is, it is the, the lack of the regression that we've seen this year is not, is not evidence that, that Dylan Morris has become a worse player. It's showing that, that that the coaching failed these kids. That said, going forward, you have to make decisions based entirely on what's best for our future. You have to be a little bit selfish in that regard. And it's not about making sure, well, this year you didn't get the shot you should, so we'll make sure that you get the shot you should have gotten this year. Next year, no, it's who's, no. who's best positioned to succeed in this job. And, and my answer there is just it's so unequivocally – like Sam Heward's got to get more opportunities. Like Sam Heward's, and if he gets out there and shows that he's not deserving of those or he's not ready for those, that's one thing. But we haven't seen that yet. We we haven't seen that. What we've seen is a whole lot of sort of thumb-sucking series where he's out there but not really doing that much, right? And that's not on him. That's that's on the planning. So I, I chalk that up as as part of the, the the greater issues that I have. Also, somebody was trying to tell me, <laughs> their description was I've used the exact same thing in describing the Seahawks where it's like well the coaches the coaches see what's going on this is when I was saying Sam should play the coaches they know they know what's going on and if they're not playing him it must be that they're seeing something that t- tells them that they're not ready and I was like okay look dude I don't trust these coaches like I don't trust what these coaches are yeah, seeing that's the problem like, in, in, in all scenarios I'm always like I know a fraction of what these coaches know and this year for one of the first times I was like yeah, I don't want to hear that. I'd like to actually see it because I don't know if they know what they're looking they, at. They saw something to not play Sean McGrew or Kamari Pleasant in the first two God, weeks, too. for the first two weeks. Just didn't play him at all. No, we're not going that way. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian would not have taken the Washington job if Jake Locker hadn't been on the roster. He's said that several times since, I, I think, on with um, Stuart Mandel and Bruce Feldman on their podcast after he was hired at Texas, basically, that you know he was – he was going to take a head coaching job where they, they had a quarterback he felt like he could win with and build the offense around. And um, that's Sam Heward is the only guy on Washington's roster who has that gravitas about him. So what you're saying is Washington's going to go after Sark. (laughs) (laughs) You'd be, you'd be thrilled if Sark were on the market and they could hire him as offensive coordinator. Wouldn't you? Yes, I would. (laughs) I'd sign up for that in a, in a heartbeat. And I don't think the idea of returning him as head coach is a terrible idea. Um, you don't, I, 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 no, I don't. Um, I think there, I think, I think Sark's, I think Sark's career has to be viewed, uh, pre and post, uh, pre and post sobriety. That's fair. I don't, I, I don't, I don't think that there's any, and I don't, I don't have the same antagonism 
toward toward him about that, I have a lot of compassion and and hope that hope that everything goes well. I think I think Sark's a pretty good coach. Yeah, I, I think he's a great. I think he's a great play caller. I think he left a lot on the table and obviously had a lot of deficiencies. And you know, again, we're yeah. talking about a first time head coach back yeah. then, but I, he did a. He did a lot for that program that, yes, that kind of goes underappreciated. And I get it. You know, he, he, you know the, the 2012 Apple Cup, Apple Cup loss was unacceptable. I mean, just a terrible collapse, and it gave away. I wanted him to. I, I thought I thought he should have to wear a clown suit for the season opener <laughs> the next year after that. Make him coach in a clown suit. Um, he he brought a lot of players into that program who helped them get to the playoff um, three years after. After he left, you know, he recruited John Ross. He recruited Azeem Victor, Keyshawn Bieria, Kevin King. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't think I don't think Washington fans should have. necessarily have any ill will toward. No, definitely not towards Steve Sarkeesian. Um, but what? But, how, how about Ed O? Ed O's been in purple. Yeah, Get him out here. He's been on the West Coast. You he, look like you work out. <laughs> how about we work out together? Yeah, that'd be a that'd be a tough one for the. For for the the optics perspective, well, you could not get to a more opposite cultural sort of milieu than put Coach O up here in the Pacific <laughs> Northwest. No, um, it'd be what interesting. About Stoops, Stoops is the fantasy pick, right? Stoops. I was looking at it. I was like, Stoops is Stoops is older. I don't. I, yeah, I I, I I I would be surprised if he wants to get back into the grind of coaching. So would maybe I. he thinks maybe he thinks he has enough 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 sway that he wouldn't have to work as hard at recruiting. But I get the sense, especially a lot of the coaches of that generation, they're like, dude, I'm not, I, I, I'm not interested in doing that anymore. <laughs> like I, I don't, I don't want to be going to all these elite 11 camps and, and what recruiting entails now. I, I'd be surprised if I'm sure they'll talk to him. I'd be surprised if he ends up being a serious candidate for any job. I more than anything, Washington really needs to avoid um, hiring a coach where there's there's any question at all about their energy or their investment in in the job and all that it entails, um, yeah. You know, that, that that was what obviously that was that was what Chris Peterson held himself to an elite enough standard that he he wasn't going to let it get to that point. I think because I like I I believe him when he says that he worked harder than ever that last year. And that, you know, I, I don't think that his, um, the way he went about his duties slipped. And then he thought, oh, I'm not working hard enough. This isn't good enough. I need to step away. I think he could sense that that was what was coming if he didn't step away and recharge. But I think he held himself to too high of a standard to let it get to that point while he was still on the job. Um, but, you know, I, I, I just... I think you you need someone who has head coaching experience. I think that's going to be a priority. I, I don't think the fan base is going to be satisfied by another coordinator hire, um, even though those that can work out. I I think you need someone who has has proven that they've they've got the even keel and the CEO skills and all that necessary to be the head coach, um, and, and and somebody who you you trust is going to surround themselves with people to to handle their business and you know not have to you know not take a chance on a coordinator who isn't proven or not have to necessarily have their their fingers on one specific aspect of the game plan but have a have an assistant staff who they delegate to 
you know, the way that, that Chris Peterson did and, and who they trust to make decisions. And, um, you know, that that's a lot of boxes to check. You, you also need someone who's really passionate about recruiting and really, really is dedicated to putting in the hours and putting in the time and, and, you know, is eager about like competing with Oregon on that level. Um, I don't know that there's any really obvious candidates because I, I don't know that Washington has the poll to go. Like I, I think for example, if they, if they were to hire Billy Napier, let's say, I think that'd be a great hire. I think there's every reason to, to look into him. And if he's interested, I, I would think that, you know, that that's the candidate profile I think would do really well at Washington, but that's somebody from another part of the country who I'm sure feels like is going to have opportunities in the region he's most familiar with. And so is there a, a sales pitch from the university of Washington to attract somebody like that? And I think that's, that's a little bit what they're up against where Washington should be, perceived as a really good job you look at it on paper and you know where it's located geographically you're in a you're in a major metro area um you have very direct recruiting connections in california where there's a ton of talent they've laid the groundwork in texas these last several years um you're a name brand on the west coast you're a respected brand within the pac-12 the history is there the resources are there you've got the facilities all that stuff um but I I think they're going to run into if they look outside the West Coast and, and broaden their candidate pool that way, which they should, and I think they will. I do think you're going to run into the bias against West Coast football that exists in, in in at at the college level, and and that exists for a reason. You know that this idea that people aren't as passionate out here that if you take a head coaching job on the West Coast that isn't USC that you kind of disappear and you're not on the national radar and people aren't thinking about you as much. People aren't talking about you as much. And there's just an inherent bias that you're going to have to overcome to get your program to that level. Even if it deserves to be, even if you're winning games and that you need to win and succeed at such a higher level than you do in the sec or the big 10 to get people to come to the games and fill the stadium. And again, Washington is in such a better position than it's PAC 12 peers that way. And I think they, so they have something to sell that a lot of schools in the Pac-12 don't, but I I think they're going to run into um, a lot of perception issues in this hire and, and just going forward on all big picture football matters, but especially so with a bunch of other high profile jobs open and, and maybe some others coming open in the future. It's 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 a tough year to hire, I think. Let's let's switch because I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of conversation about the different candidates. I'd like to go back to you you, you talked about. Jen Cohen and sort of her relationship with Upper Campus. And she, she reports directly to the president and the, the feeling of what, how the Board of Regents view the, the athletic department and how it's currently functioning. Because I'll raise my hand and say, given the state of Washington's two main revenue generating, the men's basketball and football team, on coaches that Jen Cohen hired, I've I've got real reservations and I would say like I don't think I don't think she should pick the next football coach. The the reality is is kind of from 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 what you said that her her job is not in 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 jeopardy or in question right now. Is that based on the the finances of the department? Is it what 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 is upper campus looking at when it comes to her job? So I think you find this also 
um, when you talk to people who work in the department, but not directly with the sport, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? People who have offices in the Graves building, that type of thing. From the outside, and it's completely fair because of, of the finances and the, the reputational stuff that's at stake, an athletic director is going to be judged based on how their people say football and men's basketball. It, it's really football. They're going to be judged based on how their football yeah. hires perform. And and that's that's fair. That's just that's the business. The people who work with and for an athletic director are forming their opinion of that that person are forming ninety nine point nine percent of their opinion of that person on those interactions. On those interactions between eight AM and six PM, Monday through Friday, in meetings, at events, in the boardroom, all these type of things. So an athletic director can curry a lot of favor by excelling Monday through Friday in the, in the daily duties and the daily functions of their job. And it's just a fact that at the University of Washington, the budget was a central portion of that during the transition from Scott Woodward to Jen Cohen. There was a regent, um, Jeremy Jake, I believe was his name, who at Jen Cohen's first meeting before the board just skewered Scott Woodward and accused him of masking their budget shortfall on the way out the door and said, Hey, your, your predecessor handed you unwanted gifts, I I believe was the, the comment. And so that, that was kind of the vibe of the board of regents. And I'm sure um, the president had that in mind too. It wasn't on Amari Kause at the time. I'm trying to remember if that was still Michael Young. No, he wasn't there. Anyway, um, they're, they're just thinking about so much more than who, who, which football coach did you hire and did he win that until the football program really becomes a nuisance as in a scandal or, you know, season ticket base drops in half and you're getting 30,000 people at games and it's just an embarrassment and it's it's making it hard to balance the budget because the football program's not bringing in enough revenue. I just don't think there's going to be a lot of momentum on upper campus to um, to make a change or even consider the fact that it it's not working out at the AD level. And again, I you know, I think the people who who work with Jen Cohen and work for Jen Cohen and I I don't it's I'm not going to pretend that that that's a unanimous opinion or that I even know what what all of those people think. I I just know that an athletic director's job is so burdensome and there are so many hours and so many details and so many duties that go into it independent of any one sports program and how they're performing that it's it's very easy for me to understand how an athletic director could have a lot of support from the people around them in spite of how the revenue programs are performing. So I, I just, I think, I think that explains more than anything why there, there just isn't, uh, there isn't the kind of pressure among decision makers as there might be among people who are in Husky stadium on Saturdays, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, it's so I would say that the athletic department when Scott Woodward was there, like there were some things I, I I thought the administration was aloof and there was specifically he Woodward and an associate athletic director that I, I, I specifically didn't, didn't like, I, I thought the way they treated people. I thought the, the sort of the arrogance that they both had when dealing 
with and how they saw the University of Washington's athletic department. I thought they treated it as their own vehicle in in many respects. And I can see how Jen Cohen has been sort of the 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 opposite side of that, someone who has great people skills and someone who who has repaired some of the damage that was done in the, in the way the, the the athletic department operated under Woodward. But then I go back and look at it. I was like, well, things were functioning better under Woodward from a from a sports standpoint. Like that's and and maybe he gets a ton of credit because he 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 was able to hire Chris Peterson. But he, I mean, he he was he was there for a, a transition out of Scott uh, out of Tyrone Willingham, where I think that the way that Scott Woodward saw the football team at that point mirrored the way the fans felt about it. Like he was Scott Woodward was like his, his animosity was palpable toward, toward what happened in that final year under Willingham. And I think that as for fans like me, I'm like, I'm glad he's as mad as I am. And, and it's, it's interesting. I would say that it's at, there's a kernel of me that's like, well, I don't know if I want the nice person running the athletic department. If this is the result that, that, that we've gotten because basketball I'm not going to say that one game against Northern Illinois determines how things are going to go, but that was god awful. Like that was horrendous. That that team better win this year, otherwise they're going to be looking for a basketball coach too. Yeah, and, and that isn't that such a weird deal with Mike Hopkins. Literally, conference coach of the year his first two seasons. Yes, takes them back to the tournament. Happy feelings yes. all around. He's got convinced Isaiah Stewart to come from New York. Yes, he's got. Jaden McDaniel's coming in. You got you got these two. You know, everyone knows they're going to be one and done first rounders, um, and they somehow managed to finish in last place with that team. I give him a pass on that year, Christian. And the reason it was is weird because I I've seen that before happen where you've got two kids that you have to recruit. He couldn't not take Jaden McDaniel's. He had to recruit Jaden McDaniel's. No, there's yeah. there, there's 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 no doubt about that. And you get two kids that are very that are very skilled players and the product doesn't match Jaden. There were some maturity issues with the way he played. I could, I've seen that happen before where you're like, okay, they, they had the talent. The problem for me is what happened last year. And then the jury's out on this year. Yeah. Last was, year was a there disaster. Was no, there's no conceivable way that that team was successful last year. And anybody at any point who thought that like, Oh yeah, you know what? We've got the talent here. Like that, that team was cheeks start to finish. Like when I looked out there, I was like, "That's that's not a Pac-12 roster. That's not that's not Pac-12, and that's not that's not ripping on the kids. It's ripping on the talent evaluation or development or understanding. Whoever whoever was responsible for thinking that that was a a, a roster that was acceptable and competitive by Pac-12 standards is is out to lunch because it just it just wasn't. I don't care if if Nas Jones was it was eligible for the entire year. Like it wouldn't it would not have elevated that. This year it looks it's still early. It looks like they've got more talent right now. My serious question is, I don't know if Hopkins knows how to coach offense at all. And I don't know if his understanding of defense goes beyond that. It doesn't help that he plays zone and zone is for cowards. Like it doesn't, it doesn't help in terms of how, how I view it. Like I hate the zone, but man, I'm hoping that was just an extraordinarily bad shooting day for their for three of their top scores and those guys are going to turn out to be much better shooters because the early indication against that northern illinois game was i was like uh the, what what you for the second year we're gonna have a team that can't score that, that there's no conceivable way that they're gonna score yeah 
I'm, I'm all hopped up again. They can't shoot. Maybe they should play role play between the third and fourth quarter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they 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 can't shoot and don't play man to man defense. I think, Other than that, everything's fine. I think again they have a group, and and I should note I I've not paid as close attention to UW men's basketball as I did when I was covering them. They, just watching their first couple games, even the loss, I think they have a, a group again that that plays really hard. I think he's got, and you know, it seems like he's got guys bought in. I think it's like Nate Roberts could be a fan favorite type who you know could could go obviously have this this outburst of 18 or 19 rebounds or whatever and you know be the real real hustle energy big yes. guy and all like it's like just think they, they have some pieces where it's like i could see how people could really come to like this team if they can figure out how to put the ball in the basket which is yeah it's it's an important to, part of basketball putting the ball in the hoop a couple guys that can shoot yeah you have to have a couple guys that can shoot I don't it, know it occurs to me that and it's you can never compare it because you know men's basketball just it's it's a different um it's a different world it doesn't drive the same money it's not as critical to the athletic department's success but like mike hopkins having the last two seasons that he did and there never really being a question that he was going to be back this year but you know it being made clear to him that something needs to change you need to you know you need to restructure the coaching staff you need to restructure the roster um is the opportunity Jimmy Lake would have had if everything else was well other than their performance. If he had more academically prowess? That if that if too. Jimmy if, if Jimmy had not if Jimmy had not decided like, okay, let's take some pot shots at the University of Oregon, let's punt when we're down eight with a, a minute fifty seven to go, and oh the punt sailed over the, the punter's head and that's that's just about appropriate. Oh, then he then he then then he uh physically physically contacted a player because he was mad at how the player was interacting with an Oregon. Yeah. Yeah, you, he, th- that's his fault. That's that's on him. What uh I asked Jen Cohen this yesterday and didn't get much of a response which was predictable and yeah, you know, I I get it. It's a coaching search, but does the way that the Jimmy Lake tenure ended for you and how things went the last couple of years does it does it change your perception of the the type of coach and the experience level that you want them to target with this next search i want him to have a former head coach i don't i and and you look at you look at the coaches that have been best at the university of washington the the coaches that have thrived and and maybe this is this is recency bias of sarkeesian first time head coach jimmy lake first time head coach i want a guy that's had had previous head coaching experience I, I I think it's important. I don't I don't think you can I don't think you can learn on the job here. And whether that is because Washington is this program that's kind of not as great as fans like me think it is in the college football hierarchy, but is better than a stepping stone position, that it's it's hard to find that guy. But you need somebody with 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 head coaching experience. I don't want to go with the hotshot coordinator. Oh, the other thing. I saw this. Bruce Feldman wrote that maybe Chip Kelly becomes available. No one with Oregon ties. I don't want Joe Moorhead, and I don't want Chip Kelly, depending on what happens down there. We're not going to recreate what Oregon has. I don't care if that is even strategically would be an improvement. Like I, I'm, I couldn't live my, with myself if, if Washington succeeded by borrowing an Oregon blueprint. You wouldn't have hired Chris Peterson. I know, I know, but there was a lot of distance between he, then and there. He was, He's been a head coach at Boise State, but n- not Chip. 
Chip Kelly was he took he took Oregon to its greatest height. You can't go and hire him. And I don't want I don't. I'm mad that Washington didn't hire Moorhead. Like especially when you look at I mean they were in the market at the same time, right? Yeah. And but you can't go hire him now. I I don't I don't want I don't want the student and the and the teacher dynamic when the two schools play each other. I don't want that. Hey, you hired. It generally doesn't work out when you hire the the rising debut. So I just I'm out. I'm out on guys with Oregon. He ties. was also Joe Moorhead was also fired from a Power Five head coaching job two years ago. Yep. So I you know, I'm I, out. I don't I don't know that that that's the profile of a candidate you want to go after. On Chip Kelly, um, you know, other than the, the whole Oregon thing, which I, yeah, you know, I, I think is, is fairly valid. Uh, it's what it, it's definitely valid with with someone like Chip Kelly, um, just because he was a longtime head coach there, and like you said, people are always going to associate him with Oregon. Where someone like Moorhead, if you really felt he was the guy, you know, he's been there two years as coordinator. It was a job that was open. Yeah, I don't think he's like you know, died in the wool, Oregon duck, you know, and that's part of his DNA. And maybe Chip would say he isn't either. I don't know. But like part of the the knock on Chip Kelly at UCLA has been the the effort on the recruiting trail, I think, which mm-hmm. is fair to say. Um, and that's that's just not a path Washington can can go down with this this next hire. So that'd be I, I, I think somebody who has his offensive mind and is you know, has a history of, of being innovative. And um, I saw, I, I saw a lot of stuff from UCLA's offense, even though it was almost all on the ground and, and they were another team that barely had to throw the ball that was like, Oh, that worked really well. Oh, that was creative. Oh yeah. You can give the ball to that guy that way. Okay. So I, I, I get where, um, I get where somebody with that background would come up considering the way things have gone um, offensively for, for them the last couple of years. And I, I think I've, I've seen a lot of strong reaction to I mean, John Wilner tweeted that he, he really thought UW would target Justin Wilcox. And I've seen a lot yeah. of, a lot of strong reaction to that. Most of it negative. I'm not nearly as down on that idea as a lot of people. I think Justin Wilcox absolutely checks the, the the CEO box because he's 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 been in the seat for uh, enough years now where I think you could feel like you were hiring someone who who knows how to run a program and um he's been a coordinator at a bunch of different places he's coached at a bunch of different schools his you would think that his his network is is decently well established I don't know that the time is right to hire a head coach who's never been able to figure out the offense thing. I it felt like they were close at Cal. It felt like they really had some momentum going coming out of 2019. They'd beaten Washington two years in a row, and they were going to bowl games. And they were they kind of got them to a point where they could expect to finish above 500. And then the pandemic hit, and last year was just an absolute mess for them. I don't draw any conclusions from. I don't even remember what their record was, and I don't really care. Um, but then this year, they they just took such a big step back and. It just seems like whatever momentum they had going has stalled out, and his his offensive coordinator hires have been uninspired, and they they just haven't figured out how to score points or get that going. And you know, all it would take is the right coordinator hire, you know, and and I I don't think that there's like a guarantee that Wilcox just couldn't ever get Washington to a Pac-12 championship 
level or anything like that. I just don't know that you can take a chance on someone who has not coached a team that had a really good offense or, yeah. or has shown you some reason to think that, that they could. But I, I do think I would not um, I would not hold Justin Wilcox's record at Cal against him because it's such a different job and it's so much harder than, than the yeah. Washington job in a lot of ways. Because there's an institutional reluctance to follow rules at that school. And I say that as having a father that graduated from Berkeley. Like there is, it, it is, it is hard to have a good football team there because of the obstacles that are put in the way, both of the, 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 the disregard that upper campus can have toward it. And then just the fact that the, the, whether it's the legacy of the free speech movement, the hippie tide runs strong there. And that is not conducive to having a good football team. Like yeah. That's just the reality of it. And right now they're dealing with, I mean, they're basically in a fight with the Berkeley Public Health Department. <laughs> the, the, the football program. At least they got the like, people out of the trees. Yeah. Yes, that's true. And the guy, the guy, the naked guy isn't running around any, any anymore. There's part of that. Uh, two things about Justin Wilcox. First, he's got a little bit of the Oregon, the, the, the taint of Oregon on him. Like, right? right? Yeah. Like his, his I, thought Bob, was, I thought Bob Gregory put, put it well. Uh, last week, or maybe it was the week before, when he said he was at Oregon before it was Oregon. That's true. That's it was true. a much different place before Phil Knight got involved. That's that. That part is very true. Now the second thing, and this is the bigger thing. Justin Wilcox bailed. Justin Wilcox bailed on coaching the bowl game after Sarkeesian left, and as Peterson was coming in, Marcus Tuiasosopo ended up being their head coach, and. I don't know if I've ever gotten a full understanding of what happened in that interim and and why Wilcox just bolted the way he did. But I he, will say Wil- that, Wilcox that coached didn't... The, he coached the bowl game. Are you sure? Yeah. I'm fairly I... certain it's Marcus Tuiasosopo. No, no. Marcus, Marcus Tuiasosopo was the head coach, but Wil- Wilcox was still there as the coordinator because I remember... They, want, they wanted him to be the head coach and he refused to do it. Okay. Okay. And, and, and I've got, I don't know all of the different things that happened there, but I, that did not sit right with me. How, how, and what I heard about the the reactions within the department, within the athletic department after that, I, I was, I was disappointed in, 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 in what I had heard happened. So I, I don't have a crystal clear understanding of that, but there was a little bit of just, Justin Wilcox just wanted to punch the clock and go home at that point and and got held to ending up staying on the coaching staff but refused to kind of step up when the school needed him to. That did not sit right with me. That's interesting. I, I hadn't heard that. I do remember covering the very strange Fight Hunger Bowl at AT&T Park to end that season, and I remember Justin yep. Wilcox walking out you know, with his bag to go get on the bus and – um, declining, you know, declining to speak with reporters afterward, and kind of, kind of giving like a knowing, a knowing smile and wave, sort of on his way out. Like you know, everybody, everybody involved knew the score. Everybody knew that you know he was he was headed to USC with with Steve Sarkeesian, which is you know standard standard operating procedure for a coaching change. But I do, I just, I, re- I remember that, and um, I, I don't, yeah, I don't know that that the current administration would would hold any of that against him not you know like you said not knowing exactly how that all went down i do know he had a you know a reputation as being kind of the 
the the grinder on staff, you know, where he was just all about ball. And um, I talked to we need to do to can recruit. Let's get yeah. some swag back up in here. That is the other thing when you've only when you've only recruited to Cal as a head coach, it's it's much much different um, at Washington. But like they, you know, I they, they there was some overlap there. They went after the same players to some degree, and the the region, you know, the footprint is the same. You, I would imagine mm-hmm. that the relationships would be very similar. So um, at, at that point, it becomes about about gravitas and and closing ability and. And all those sort of things, but you know that's that's why you hire a, a really good assistant staff. So I think you know, Wilcox feels like the safe hire. Feels like the you know the hire you make to assure the uh, the highest like the, the the best worst case scenario on an annual basis. You know you you're, you're not gonna you're not gonna bottom out with him probably, but you know can he get you to winning nine ten games a year? I don't know. I think there are probably um, some candidates out there with with some greater upside. We're going to have a lot of time to dig through this, figure out who it's going to be. Or do you think it'll be quick? I It feels like it's usually pretty quick. I mean, they, they hired Sark before the 2008 season ended. Um, mm-hmm. Granted, they fired Tyron Willingham after seven games. They hired Chris Peterson on, like, was it December 3rd? Yep, something like that. Well before the same, bowl game, same day that same day that Robinson Cano came to the Mariners. Right, it was a wild day. Um, Seahawks played the Saints on Monday night, or no, that was the day Sark left. There was a lot going on that year. Um, I I expect it to be relatively swift. I don't think it's going to like drag out for two or three weeks necessarily, um, especially with other jobs open. I you know I. I think that's probably part of the calculus with the decision on, on Jimmy Lake, you know, the suspension gave them a very like defined timeline to make a decision. But, um, I do think they were probably what well, probably top of mind was, Hey, we're going to have to go and look for a new coach after this season. Anyway, you know, I think you've made your decision that he's not the guy and that you need to move on. Um, you do it now instead of wait till the end of the season so you can get a jump on this sort of thing and start having some conversations and, and put you know focus all your energy on on the search. So I don't know. I'm I'm not expecting a, a drawn out process here. You know. With that said, USC USC still hasn't made a hire and, and they've had many, many weeks to do it. So there is the there there is there is the factor <laughs> of needing, Urban, right? needing to wait for, for seasons to end and, and jobs to open and that sort of thing. I, I loved it when people thought, well, maybe Urban Meyer is going to go there. I can guarantee you that USC will not hire Urban Meyer. No. <laughs> that Urban Meyer is not going to be hired at USC. That was never, ever going to happen. No. Not with, you, um, not, not with the pay, current climate of the, the school you, and the you, department you there You pay right a now. billion, a billion dollars to settle, like, serial uh, abuse charges. You're not going to hire Urban, Mar- Urban Meyer. When your institution has done that, you're not going to hire Urban Meyer. Is there is there a, a single candidate that when when you hear Jimmy Lake has has been fired comes to mind for you? Think I hope Washington hires X. I don't I don't have a great answer to that question. I'm intrigued by Jay Norvell. He's the one at Reno, right? At Nevada Reno. Yeah. I'm intrigued by him. Um some of that has to do with I know how hard it is to win at that school and and the challenges you have there. But I don't know enough about him yet to say, like, hey, that's the guy I want. I more know that I want it to be someone with head coaching experience. I want it to be someone who is who has who has been at at 
in that position and not a rising coordinator who's getting his first his first crack at the job. It's a, you know when when I kind of first started to think about candidates, I was thinking, you know, okay, what's the the home run tier? Aside from getting Bob Stoops to come out of retirement or convincing you know convincing Chris Peters, like the the moderately realistic home run tier, I think starts with somebody like Matt Campbell at Iowa State. But you know he's been there that long. He's had other opportunities. Yes, USC is open. Like you know, what's what, could, could Washington really pull him from from there? Probably not. The only way you get him is that if he doesn't want the LA market, which is what happened with Chris Peterson, right? Yeah, like Chris Peterson didn't want the LA market. It's why um, I like I don't think anybody in UW's administration deserves credit for hiring Chris Peterson. Like that's been an argument of, I agree. Oh, like is, well, Scott Woodward was the AD, but Jen Cohen was also on the plane and, you know, she was really involved in getting it done. If Chris Peterson's available, he wanted to go there. Yeah. If Chris Peterson's available, like you, it it takes very little mental energy to, and, and he wants to come to your school. You know, he's all in on it. I Washington's open and I want Washington takes very little, uh, competence, to, to get that person on board. So um, I, I think, I think Matt Campbell's in that territory. Like I don't, I, you know, if, if Matt Campbell or, um, you know, Luke Fickle is another one that gets thrown out for every job. Cause he's yeah. at a group of five school. That's obviously that's not going to happen. Um, but you know, if, if someone, if someone of Matt Campbell's um, caliber wants to come to Washington, there's no like vetting or interview process where they decide to pass on, on that right. right yes those 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 two guys fall distinctly into that category yes um but i you know i just don't know if there's anyone in that tier who would come to washington like i right. keep i think about these guys who are from different parts of the country matt campbell by the way fun fact you know where matt campbell was born i do not massillon ohio same hometown really? as don james really yeah i didn't know that population like thirty thousand. So wow, how about that? Cradle um, of coaches. Yeah, uh, I, you know Dave Clawson at, at Wake Forest. I think is a you know it would be a great candidate for Washington to look at. I mentioned Billy Napier earlier. Um, it just it's 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 going to depend on how the job is viewed and you know what kind of finances they can come up with and whether these guys think that Washington is a better platform um, to to go you know compete for conference championships and potentially playoff appearances than some other jobs they probably feel like they could get in the next year two or three so it'll be it'll be interesting to follow um we'll be here back next week to talk about it are we gonna be you don't think we'll be talking about a new head coach a week from now do you next time we do not we sit down for this i do not think we will no have you um i I think it's i think it's gonna be december i think it'll be either the the end of the first week of december Kind of that December 5th, if I was going to say, yeah, so I'll set it, December 5th. Do you think it's sooner or later than December 5th? December 5th. I think it'll be sooner than December 5th. Okay. Let's, yeah. We, we, haven't done, we haven't done a poll. Let's do, we're we're going to do a crowdsourcing poll. I'll, I'll put that together and we'll put that up on Twitter. Have you? Like the over-under the over on December 5th. Have you finished your Colorado film study yet? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Last I checked, they're, uh, I think they're still going to play the game. So Now, the, it, it's very funny because it, I was trying to explain this to my wife. When you get a team that you really like, 
it's the team you love. Like there's no doubt about your your allegiance, and and you you do feel for the players. Like I, I want I want the players to win. Um, I think I think they've played hard. I I really do, and I can't emphasize that enough. I've seen instances, um, such as Tyrone Willingham's final game against Cal, where I've thought that the team didn't play hard. This team has played hard. They've played hard all year. I that- want them to win. But there's a certain level of self-loathing about all of this that's happening, and that is going to be – that's a mud-wrestling match, right? Because you know they're going to be up for the Apple Cup and kind of the sense of it's not going to save the season by any stretch. But you, you have the possibility of being bowl eligible if they win these next two. Like, I, I don't I'm, – I'm worried. It's, a, it's an early start. It's a noon kickoff. I, 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 think, I think this could be an eyesore. I think this could be an absolutely awful game to watch. It does feel like it could be the game in between, like last week they they got the bump from, you know, all the everything going on and, and being able to kind of rally around each other and just play football. And then, like you said, next week is the Apple Cup. They're always going to be up for that. This game on the road, early kickoff against a team that has not had a good season, probably going to be a pretty empty stadium. Coach has been fired. Um, yeah, this does this this has. I don't know if you can have a letdown after a loss, two consecutive losses, <laughs> but it does kind of have letdown written all over it. That said, they did yeah. a good, you know, the, the the current coaches did a good job last week of, uh, you know, getting they came out, man, getting they everybody played. with the right mindset and, and playing hard. So maybe this they can carry that hard. over. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Washington, uh, Washington, twenty-seven, Colorado, hard. twenty-six. Twenty-seven, twenty-six. I don't even know what the line is. Uh, so I. I think it's going to be 2017 Colorado. Could see that too. Yeah. I think it's going to be 2017 Colorado. How about that cover last week, by the way? <laughs> That's why you never gamble, man. That's I know. That's why you never gamble. That's why you never gamble. That is just, if you could, I, I am enjoyed by watching tortured gamblers. If you can imagine the feeling that they, that those gamblers had watching the pick six, Followed by the ridiculous backdoor touchdown. Like that is that is why you don't gamble. I'm trying you don't gamble. I'm trying to picture I don't know that the line ever got to five anywhere. It might have, because it was it was bouncing with like five and a half and six, right? I'm trying yeah. I'm trying to imagine if anybody would have would have boxed themselves into getting that at ASU minus five and then they go out to for the two-point conversion like no just kick the pat obviously obviously you go for two there's no reason not to go for two in that situation but you are you are reduced to rooting for illogical things to occur when you gamble yes you are reduced to being disappointed by teams doing exactly what they should do it is brutal never gamble kids i can't sign off on that i like gambling Hey, it's get sports. Sports betting is like it's like investing in cryptocurrency. Don't do it with any amount of money you're not willing to lose. That's that, favorite, that's the advice I would give. Yeah, my favorite sports gambling story was it was one of my friends from high school. We were in Las Vegas uh, for the first weekend of the NCAA tournament, and I believe that he had he had bet on it was a game. It was the Pistons. I remember this because it was the Pistons Cavs, and. It was a situation where it was less than 30 seconds left. Ricky Davis, the Cavs, he needed the Cavs. My buddy needed the Cavs to score to cover. And they were, the, and, and there was no reason for Ricky Davis to shoot. 
There was no reason for Ricky Davis to shoot. They had won. It was going to, he's dribbling out the clock. And because Ricky Davis is one of the most erratic players ever in the, in the NBA and an absolute loose cannon, he inexplicably starts driving toward the basket. So I watch my friend's eyes light up in this Christmas gift from heaven of this knucklehead who this guy who once missed a shot at his own basket to get the rebound in an effort to get a triple double, <laughs> like all of these things happen with Ricky Davis. He is going to the rack and he's going to win my friend this bet. Darko Milicic, who had been the second overall pick selected by Detroit ahead of Carmelo Anthony and Dwayne Wade, who was one of the bigger busts in in NBA history because of that. He hung around for a little while. Milicic just destroys Ricky Davis, like fouls him, knocks him to the ground, like just maims him. Ref swallows his whistle. And so I watch my friend go from this enthusiasm of, oh my God, I'm going to get this basket to indignance. How do you not call what is basically assault as he's at the hoop? And and my feeling of like, yeah, that's what you deserve is that agony right there because he shouldn't have been shooting and the refs decided that nature heals. Like nature will take care of itself. It's a self-cleaning oven. He got put on his butt. That's his own, de- like, that's what he deserves. He doesn't get free throws for that. You lose! What was it was great. Wasn't this the plot of Hardball starring Keanu Reeves? <laughs> is it? I've not seen that movie. Is he a, is he a sports better? Yeah, he's a, so he coach he coaches a, a little league baseball team and and he has a a huge gambling problem. He's always betting on the NBA. I'm just like I picture there's this scene of him watching a game out in public that's like a really it's either a bad beat or a really really close win that that like gets him by another day or whatever and i'm imagining him watching darko milicic mug ricky davis on the way to the basket and losing his mind yeah god that was funny um (laughs) yeah we'll leave you with that Um, story i'm not gonna tell my ricky (laughs) it's best to left you sure said yeah 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 i can't tell that one okay um, if blockbuster video still existed, I would encourage everybody. I would sign off here by encouraging everybody to go rent hardball starring hardball. Keanu Reeves. I, it's 20 years old, so I, I, it's probably not as entertaining as I'm remembering it, but that actually might make it more worth watching in, in some ways. So, um, blast from the past there. Uh, that's all I've got for you folks. We'll be back with episode seven next week, perhaps with some coaching news, perhaps not. Um, but we will see you then.